Church membership. Let's have a little review and reminder tonight. A short and simple reminder of the importance and duties of church membership. We just sang about the church. Much more has been taught on most every point that I'm going to make tonight. Tonight's a review. It's just an overview of the subject. Church membership. What is it? How important is it? And what duties come with it? In brief, we believe all the Bible says about church membership. Experiences, past or present or worthless, that doesn't define a church or tell us where we ought to be headed. We want to base everything on the Word of God. Feelings, past or present, churches you enjoyed, churches you didn't enjoy are also worthless. Like every other topic, God's will, based on God's words, is all that matters. This is an article came out three days ago. Growing number of Americans love Jesus but don't go to church. It's a Barna survey about the large number of people that are no longer going to church in the 30 to 70 age range that once used to go and think they can have a relationship with Jesus without a church. And that's the current concept because churches are so watered down and just little social clubs where they don't take it seriously, they don't look at the Word of God, what a church is is for, and fulfilling that purpose, so it's been diluted in its importance. What is a church? Baptized believers, that comes first, committed to Jesus Christ. That's what makes up a church. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch of Syria, Acts chapter 13. Baptized, Acts chapter 11. Baptized believers committed to each other. These go hand in hand. We come into a church relationship and it's congregational. We're committed to Christ and we're committed to each other, as we just sang. They, these baptized believers, fulfill God's choice of congregational worship. This is not the... 2,500 years of the patriarchs. We may use the word patriarch in this church for an old man, an older member of our church, but this is not the time of the patriarchs. Abraham, Enoch, Noah, and so forth, who could worship God privately themselves, build altars and offer sacrifices. God's chosen this right here, congregational worship. There's no one in this room right now that's more of a loner than your pastor. But it doesn't matter whether I'm a loner or not. What does the Bible say? And God has called for congregational worship. They, that is these baptized believers, become members by mutual covenant with each other. Their manual of conduct is the New Testament. So, it's a group of baptized believers committed to Jesus Christ and each other, holding one form of doctrine and practice from the New Testament scriptures that come into a mutual covenant with each other that they're going to serve each other based on that manual in congregational worship and service, the way God's ordained. That's a church. An important study occurred back in 2011. What is a church? 263 slides on a Wednesday night. I won't be that long tonight. I loved that particular study. And if you care about this subject, you will go look that up and flip through those slides 
We'll take a quick survey of it in just a moment. Then, a few years ago, we had what is a great church, because we don't want an ordinary church. We want a great church for the Lord's sake. And then, two years ago, higher ground, where should this church be headed? What is a church? Let's look at a few knots. It's not a religious building for Sunday activities so that you drive down the road and say, there's a church. No, there's just brick and mortar stuck together. It's not a thing to do on Sundays called go to church. It's not a religious club for following a man like Lakeview in uh, Houston with Joel. It's not an auditorium for an oratorical drama. It's not a place for private worship like the Roman Catholic Church where you can go in and sit with your rosary, thumb the beads, smell the incense, watch the priest, listen to the organ, and the little boys that haven't grown up yet. Mark your calendars. What is a church? This is what it's not. How important is the church? Let's look at what the church is so that we appreciate its importance. We just sang about its importance. Which of these two things is greater? I'm going to show you two pictures. Which picture is more important and greater? This one? Credible. Credible. Or this one? New Providence Predestinarian Baptist Church, DeWitt County, Illinois, 1908. This one? Or this one? Oh, there's no comparison between the two. Thank you, Lord, for putting us on this side of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where he walks among his candlesticks, the Spirit inhabits this place, we go right into the presence of God. All of our sacrifices were all kings and priests. Solomon was king, but he had to have a priest from the tribe of Levi. We're both. All of our sacrifices made acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Amazing privileges and blessings. What does the Bible say about a local church? Get ready. Are you ready for a survey of that study that I did six years ago already? What is a church? It's God's temple. Forget Solomon. The New Testament local church by itself is God's temple. It's the Spirit's house where he makes his habitation. I could give you verses, but then we would be here until 10 tonight. It's Christ's body. We're bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh and his bride. It's the potentate's property. It's a scripture repository where God has given his scriptures and we keep them and they have been kept for 2,000 years without the assistance of the Jews. But the churches of Jesus Christ, it's a treasure chest of new things new and old to be brought out. It's Christ's prophecy, I will build my church. It's an angelic wonder. The angels desire to look into the things, Ephesians 3.10, 1 Peter chapter 1, that the Lord's done for us. It's our heavenly connection. Ye are coming to Mount Zion. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. It's a royal commission as a king and a priest. It's the truth defender, the pillar and ground of the truth. It's the source of salvation the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. It's a worship center. It's where we go to worship God in a congregational way. It's a reality check when we come in here. It's God's seminary. It's a small claims court, Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 6. It's a welfare agency to take care of widows and others in need. It's a true prayer band. This is what a local church is. It's a group of competent counselors that you can go to. The synergistic support of one another. 
replacement family, best friends, heaven's executioner of those that don't want to live according to the gospel. What we bind on earth is bound in heaven or loosed. It's a living organism. It's not an organization. It's the living body of Christ. It's made up of living stones and built upon the lively hope of the resurrection. It is Freedom Park because we allow freedom, individual freedom in matters of Christian liberty, and there's a lot of them. It's a support group when we're weak, troubled, or in need of help. It has the, it's the place where the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, the King of Kings is observed. It's where we have our own praise band when we all sing together. It's the United Nations because Jews and Gentiles are reconciled together in this church. It's a secret society because the world doesn't recognize who we are. It's a mega church because we have come into union with the General Assembly, which is written above in the Book of Life. It's the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's where wisdom is hidden from this world, and we can come inside these walls and share the secrets of hidden wisdom. Someone put together an outline on all these points. There's 33 of them with about five lines of explanation and scriptures. It'll do your heart good. I don't know if I know the man in Christ or not, but he did something. Bible proofs for each point is in what is a church. That's a long time ago. It's 11 years ago I did that. We need to remember what we have here, and we need to preserve it and protect it. Do you remember this series, Furniture and Fixtures? It was only two sermons long. Get ready. Here's a survey of furniture and fixtures in the New Testament church, metaphors chosen by God from the Old Testament to bring into the new to describe what we have in this church. Is there a candlestick in this church? Yes, there is. Was there a candlestick in the Old Testament church? Yes, there was. Which one is better? Oh, there's no comparison. Who cares about that oil-burning piece of junk they had in the Old Testament? The Apostle Paul would use stronger language than I just used. He called all that stuff beggarly, carnal, worldly, and weak. We have a candlestick. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Spirit inhabiting this place, and He can be taken away. Do we have an altar? Yes. It's where Jesus Christ offered Himself without spot to God. We have a pulpit. It's right there. It's right there. You know, people think, anyway, you understand that. And it's here. We'll let you use it for both. It's to hold up the Word of God and to get the preacher above the people so that they can all see that he's opening the Word of God when he reads to them and gives the sense. Right. It's a, we have a temple. Got to move. We have a table, don't we? And I don't mean that table. I mean when we sit at the Lord's table. We have a cup, don't we? Do they have cups? Do we have an aroma? An aroma of life unto life. Do we have incense? Yes. The prayers of the saints going up to heaven. Are we stones? Yes. We are all stones in the house of God. Do we have a foundation? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there gold, silver, and precious stones in a church? Indeed there is. Is there a treasure chest to be opened and shared? Are there fruit trees in the church of God? Are there pillars? Is there a throne? Do you have a throne? Can you go to the throne of grace yourself? And is Jesus sitting on a throne? Do we have an ensign that we follow? Romans chapter 15, quoting from Isaiah chapter 11, says that indeed we do. Is there a trumpet? Yes, we blast the gospel trumpet when we preach, and we're waiting for the sound of another trumpet when the Lord Jesus Christ comes for us. We are plants grown up, and we want our daughters to be cornerstones as well. Is there a garment? Are there garments to be worn? Garments of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We want our daughters to be cornerstones, and the Lord Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. Is there a branch, and are there branches? Is there a sword? We're to take it up. It's the Word of God. Is there a closet that we should go into from time to time? Are there angels involved with this assembly? Is, there, is salt part of it? Is light part of it? A veil? Armor? The veil's been pierced. We can go straight into the presence of God. We can put on the whole armor of God. We're trusting in the cross of Christ where he laid down his life for us and other books that are to be, written, to be read so that we can know the will of God and interpret scriptures. Yes, indeed. The Bible says a lot about the local church. Amen. We believe all the Bible says about it. God chose to be worshipped in churches. This is what God chose. Let me say again, no one in here is more of a loner than I am. I would love to worship God alone. Maybe include Sherry. And I'm, only, I'm only telling you that because I don't want anyone else thinking that you feel that way stronger than I do. But it doesn't matter one bit. And you know, I'm shaming myself by even saying it out loud. Because when, when God wants something, that's what he's going to get from me. And I'm going to make it, I'm going to do everything I can in my power to promote the congregational aspect of this church where everyone loves one another and we give him congregational worship. Amen. Loners outside a church do not please God. It's that simple. When you put these two together, God chose to be worshipped congregationally in churches. Loners outside a church do not please God. Our church should be very important to us. We should want to protect it from danger. We should want to promote it to be better. We should want to passionately participate in it. And we should want to preserve it for the future, especially our children and grandchildren. That all takes work. You can't just float in here and warm foam rubber and go home. It takes work. And let's all work together to make this church what it should be. The Lord's Supper is only for those in a local church. The Spirit of God has a ministry that is only in the local church. I remember a Presbyterian asking me one time why he didn't feel that he was walking very close with God and never had. And what is this ministry of the Holy Spirit? And I said, well, being a Presbyterian, you can't have it because you haven't been baptized yet because it's a ministry of the Holy Spirit dependent upon water baptism. What does all that lead to? It leads to this right here. There's a ministry of the Spirit of God in the church of Jesus Christ because this is what he inhabits. There's, there's, there's various phases and operations and ministrations of the Spirit, but some are within the local church. Our highest earthly calling is to serve it. Right. David in the Old Testament, Paul in the New. They're two of the greatest heroes in the Bible. What did they do that was different from all other men? They served the church. David in the Old Testament, Paul in the New. Our highest earthly calling is to serve the church of Jesus Christ. There's other duties that you have as well, but uh, the, your duties ascend up toward God and your spiritual duties are your highest. It's peace and prosperity should be our goal. We should want our church always in peace. We should want it in prosperity, right. primarily spiritual prosperity. Right. That's our goal. Who came up with the idea of building God a temple in the Old Testament? David, David did. God didn't come up with the idea. God actually confronted David and said, I, I was never bothered by it, and I never had Moses write anything about this. Where'd you get such an idea? And I want you to have ideas like that for, the, for building this church and making it better. But it was David. Who paid for that Old Testament temple since he couldn't build it? David paid for it. Was he the man after God's own heart? 
He was indeed, and he loved the house of God. Did God and man ever talk like Jehovah and David did in 2 Samuel 7? Nowhere else in the Word of God out of 1,189 chapters is there a relationship between God and a man like between David and Jehovah in that chapter. It is some of the most fabulous, spiritually intimate, and personal language you'll ever find, and it's what I wish you would read from time to time when you're quiet and away, you have cell phones turned off or destroyed, nothing can bother you, and you want to meet the Lord and see a man and the Lord get very close with each other. David said, I want to build you a house. God said, I'm content with my tent. I want to build you a house. You're not going to build me a house. You've been a man of war. I will build you a house. And do you know what that house means that he built for David? That's the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, sitting on the throne of Israel, the kingdom of God, right now, forever. That's... Okay, where am I headed with all that? Here's where I was headed with all that. You want to know what David was like when it came to church? Lord, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Are you with me? You know that I have an ambition for you to be like David. And of course, like the son of David. One thing. Have I desired of the Lord? That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We have a temple far better than what David had and what Solomon built. We have the New Testament church, but take these verses and apply them. Do these verses apply to you? Do they cover you? Do they match you? Do they describe you? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me when David remembered certain things and he's about to describe them. For I had gone with the multitude. I was part of congregational worship. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise. Do you hear from me? And I think that many of you understand me when we have the chatter between services on Sundays, before the service tonight, after the service tonight, After the services on Sunday, the chatter of brethren in the house of God, loving each other's presence and rejoicing in the truth that they've heard, the voice of joy and praise with a multitude, congregational worship that kept Holy Day. What's our Holy Day? It isn't Easter and it's not Christmas. It's the Lord's Day. And we get 52 of them a year. Look at that verse. Enjoy these verses with me. Oh God, We're still in David. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. In a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Where do we see God, hear about God, and are reminded about God? In the sanctuary, right here. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. It's more important than anything else you can get. The house of God's more important than your house. And to be here in his holy temple, in his courts, is better than any place else you could be. How amiable. How wonderful, beautiful, precious, and lovely. 
How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. Do you think he meant it? How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. For a day in thy courts, one day, is better than a thousand anywhere else. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. No matter what those tents were and how many they were and how big they were, it'd be better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Psalm 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And in the New Testament, that takes on an entirely different meaning. They shall prosper that love thee. New Testament Jerusalem. For my brethren, we're still in Psalm 122. For my brethren and companions' sakes, that's congregational worship. This is David. For my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, peace be within thee. He wanted the church to be peaceful for the benefit of his brethren and his companions. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. David was constantly seeking the good You've got the name David, David Jones. Listen to this, David. I hope that you'll grow up to be like this, David. You're showing signs of it. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Are you all here tonight committed to seek the good of this house? Because of the Lord your God and because of your brethren? Do you notice that it goes together and you can't have one without the other? If you say that you love God, if you do not love the church and show your efforts toward it, you do not love God. You love some imagination in your own mind. If you love the church and don't have a personal relationship with God, you've turned the church into a social agency that isn't the church of Jesus Christ. The two go together. He that loveth God loveth also those that are born of him. Let's build a temple to the glory of God. Let's raise up an edifice. Love that word, worthy of the Lord Christ. From whom? Jesus Christ is the, is the antecedent of that pronoun. From whom? The whole body, sitting here before me tonight, fitly joined together, congregational, and compacted by that which every joint, every one of you joints is important, and you need to be supplying for the rest of the body according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, We've got every part. We've got every joint. These go together. Maketh increase of the body unto the edifying. We can raise an edifice of itself in love. We are to love one another and build this body up to increase this body for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of him by every joint and every part contributing what it should and us as a congregation compacting and falling in and collapsing together into the center of a scattergram of individual members that God has placed in this body to love one another and be a tightly knit group that's a living organism supplied by the Holy Spirit of God and is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in the temple of the New Testament. What happens right here inside these walls and what happens among us away from these walls is the church of Jesus Christ. What does church membership involve? What are the duties of church membership? Let's raise up an edifice worthy of the Lord Christ. Let's get started. That doesn't mean what you think it does. But help me, Lord. To get started, 
do you fully grasp the difference between baptism and church membership? Right. One is individual. Baptism is purely between a person and God. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God. 1 Peter 3.21, the most definitive verse in the New Testament about baptism. Right. Baptism is individual. It's God and you, you and God. Congre membership in a church is congregational. It is the mutual covenant and commitment together of all of us to treat each other according to the rules of the New Testament and to worship God according to a set body of doctrine and practice given to us in the New Testament. It's very different. The Lord's Supper is very different from baptism. The Lord's Supper is congregational. It's a, it's a body coming together to share their unity and their, it's called communion, 1 Corinthians 10, not 11, 10, the communion of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Our common union in Christ is shown at the Lord's Supper. Our unity around his broken body and shed blood. Baptism is between one person and God. God chose this individual ordinance and its features. Membership is many for mutual growth. That's why it's for mutual growth. That's why there's churches and members of them. God chose a church for worship and service after we're baptized. There are several one another duties we all have. I've preached that to you before. That is a compound reciprocal pronoun. It's very creative. It's very wonderful in our New Testaments. One another. Every individual member owes certain duties to every other individual member. This occurs 30 times, two times in the New Testament. You've heard about them before. I'm just reminding you right now that our church is not a place to come and just hear preaching. God could have arranged one of a thousand different ways for a preacher to communicate information to you. We come together for more than that. Right. We come together for one another duties because we all need one another to build each other up and get ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. There's that reciprocal compound pronoun of one another. By love, each one of us should lovingly serve each other, but one at a time. This is what the church of Jesus Christ is. Do you want to be a little bit like David? Then show us. Show the Lord. Brotherly love from each member to each other member is key. Oh, brotherly love from each member to each other member is key. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love, one to another. Both of those are singular. Just like one another is singular. One member to each other member. Attendance is a duty. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But its purpose is other than what most think. The required attendance is not just to hear a preacher. And in fact, in the context, it's different. And here's the context. Let us Consider, oh, here we go. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So it's not the pastor, it's not the minister, it's not the bishop, it's not the shepherd, it's the sheep, it's the members, it's the body of Christ. Let us consider one another to provoke to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but as opposed to skipping church, exhorting one another. It doesn't have, it has very little to do with me. It has to do with exhorting one another. 
This is why we have a church. It's congregational worship. Part of what we do is preaching. But there's 168 hours in a week, and I only preach to you for a very few of them. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That is why we have church assemblies, is to get together and exhort one another, consider one another, to provoke to love and to good works. This is the word of the Lord. I don't care what you've been taught before, what I've been taught before. I don't care what we've experienced or what we feel. This is the word of God. This is why we get together. So as soon as I say amen in just a few minutes, you should be thinking of who you're going to go see to consider them, to provoke them, and to exhort them. Let's build this body. Let's lay some stones tonight. Anything we ask of new members is more true of existing members. So instead of worrying about the new members that we're going to be taking in in the next couple of months, why don't you worry about you? Because you should know far better than those new members. And you should be doing toward them everything that I'm going to ask them to do toward you, but you should be doing it better and more of it. You are no more important than other members. We always want to remember this in the church. And it is your duty to value them as in the body with you. That is other members. You should value them. God chose the other members of this body to be here along with you. He chose every one of them. They're hand-picked. It doesn't matter if we exclude them. That excluded one was hand-picked. They're all hand-picked. For good or evil. Judas was hand-picked for evil. That there should be no schism in the body. Here's Here's a physical body being described. But that the members... Arms, legs, eyes, ears, feet, toes should have the same care. Oh, here we go. It's not exactly one another, but it's one for another. We should have care. And whether one member suffer, all the members should suffer with it. One member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is the word of God to us. Rather than think about the church befriending or loving you more, you should love and befriend all others. It is such a disgraceful thought to ever have it enter your mind or your heart that wondering why the church doesn't love you more. There's reasons. You're supposed to be loving them. You're not very friendly. So get friendlier and love the rest of the church. It's your problem, not the church's. The Bible says for a man to have friends, he must show himself friendly. It's not the other party's fault. It's your fault. Think the right way when we come in here. We come here to serve. We don't come here to be served. Church, jumping to a new thought, church is not to meditate. It's not to come in here and meditate in the Word of God. You've got 165 other hours in the week to do that. It's not to come in here and just learn the Bible and go home like it's been a seminary class. Church is not a seminary class, and it's not to come in here and worship the Roman Catholic way of watching something go on in front of you and then go home. That isn't church. Church is a living organism that you're part of as a living stone, and you're supposed to be compacting it together by what your joint and your part can contribute to make the church better for the glory of Christ and the profit of every other soul in it to be ready to meet Jesus when he returns. Closet worship, as Jesus called it, is not church. You can pray in your closet at home. We don't come here to pray in private. Unless you do both well, he blesses neither. Unless you do both well, that is, loving his church, congregational worship, and loving private devotional worship with him, he blesses neither, because he expects both. He's chosen both. 
How great could a local church be if each member fulfilled all duties with holy passion? What if each member got a little bit of a vision of David and wanted to make something exceeding magnifical here? Let's do it. Church is not a date or a family reunion. Ever heard that one before? Don't come in here and hang around your spouse, you lazy, selfish person. Leave your spouse. Go work the crowd. Work the multitude. Encourage them, provoke them, consider them. You're married outside of here. We don't care about your marriage in here. Why are you? You've got 165 hours with your spouse. I have a lot of family in this church. I don't want to talk to my family. I want to talk to the rest of you. Sometimes it happens. If you see it happen, I'm grieving. There's too many of them. And one of them has Naomi and Benjamin. Your marriage is secondary when it comes to his saints when we're in here. Remember what it said back there. Consider one another, provoke to love to good works, exhort one another while while we can, while we're here in an assembly. Prepare before assemblies to serve others. Before you ever get here on a Sunday, before you get here on a Wednesday, you should have a little short list in your mind or write it on a three-by-five card of those that you want to look up and that you can exhort and comfort, ask about, consider something in their lives that you know they're going through. Work at turning conversations to spiritual good. Be thankful and joyful. It's contagious. Hospitality is not a suggestion, it's a duty. It's not an option in the church. Immediately settle all differences with anyone. God will measure you by your profit to others. He doesn't care about your private worship. He doesn't care about your private prayers. He doesn't care about your private reading if you neglect his chosen form of worship, which is a church. He chose this. I would choose otherwise. You might choose otherwise, but that doesn't matter. He chose this. Most today want to know what a church offers for them. But those that know Christ want to know how to serve others. What can I do to help someone else? What can I do to lift them up? Do you warn, comfort, support, and forbear all the other members as Paul taught right here? Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. That's congregational duties toward one another. That's not ministerial. That's First Thessalonians, not a pastoral epistle. The highest degree of love is helping a person please Jesus Christ. Now and when that person stands before him. Do you understand that sentence? Young people, you should understand it because you got this one week ago. The highest degree of love is helping a person please Jesus Christ. Do you know how much you'll sin with a person when that's your goal? You won't. Do you know that if a couple had that as their goal, what kind of a relationship they would have? The highest degree of love is helping another person please Jesus Christ. So I need to ask you, do you love others? By that definition. What can you do better? What can you do differently? To show that kind of love. The highest purpose of a church is the same. Pleasing Jesus Christ. That's why we're put together in a body Are you fulfilling your role? That's why we assemble. That's why we're put together. That by compacting the church together, every member benefits. All the one another duties, one another duties. 
because we want to be helping each other member be perfect to meet Jesus Christ. Are you committed to prayer for the church? Member by member, 